Good morning. We're going to be starting this morning a new book. The, we're in the pastoral epistles. We looked at 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and now we're going to look at Titus. Hopefully, by the end of these three books, the scriptures in that particular area will have straightened me out enough that I can do the job. There's a very important pastoral epistle, very important letters written by Paul. And uh, today, instead of looking at the recipient Timothy, we're going to be looking at the recipient of Titus. Um, before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your patience with us. As we look at the word and see so many things in our lives that lack the conformity that should be there, we are humbled and challenged and grateful for the fact that you are a God of mercy and grace. Pray that you would work in our hearts, beginning with me, make us more of what you want us to be. Do your work in us. You are the great physician. We are definitely in need of your surgery. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the avenue of prayer that gives us access to the throne of the universe. And not only to the throne, but to the one who sits upon it. Thank you for the fact that you're in charge. We ask your blessing upon this time this morning. We pray in the name of our Savior, thanksgiving. Amen. Well, we're going to start out with a salutation. This is the first section, the first four verses, and that just in Pete said he didn't know what the title put in there. I didn't send him anything, I guess. It's just Titus, his salutation. He um, writes, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie almost long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word, the proclamation with which I was entrusted, according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father, Christ Jesus, our Savior. Interesting that he begins, and that's a habit a lot of times with some of the New Testament writers, putting the name of the author as first in the book. And that's the usual practice a lot of times in the first century for writers of letters to do that. I was reading a little bit about that, to sign his name first and then to write the name of the recipient. Um, examples of something like that. Um, there was an official correspondence uh, written uh, beginning with Pliny, to the emperor Trajan, wishes you health. And so he puts the name of the author first there. Uh, Adolf Deitzman, uh, in the book, The Light from the Ancient East, gives a letter from a naughty schoolboy to his father. The boy follows the first century custom, beginning his letter with Theon, to Theon, his father, greeting. And there are other examples, I don't need to go over them, but that's, this is following kind of the early church 
of the early uh, history of the writing back during the early church in which the name was placed first. Paul, the name that appears there, is a transcript of the Latin Paulus, meaning little, and it was a favorite name among the uh, Stilicians. It was, a, it was the nearest approach in sound to the Hebrew word Saul, Paul kind of being the Roman equivalent. According to some, both names were born by him in his childhood. Paulus was the one that he was known best by the Gentiles and is the one that kind of stuck with him because his ministry was primarily given, even though he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a converted Jew, educated in the laws um, and very highly educated in the Jewish community. He was the apostle, if you will, to the Gentiles. That was a ministry that God had called him. And so that's the name that is stuck with him, the name Paul. As, it, as the text unfolds here, notice there it says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I want to take a moment to, to um, get a little bit of uh, idea about the name and the, the writer itself. If you take Paul's ministry, generally speaking, we divide it into four missionary journeys. Uh, after the, the fourth missionary journey, remember that Paul was on the way to Rome for what we returned his first imprisonment. Then there was a period of time in which we don't have any record in Acts, but a period of time until the second imprisonment unfolds, and that's in Second Timothy. That's what we just finished looking at with Second Timothy, and that's Second Timothy was written by Paul from imprisonment, from which he, uh, we don't believe he left. He, he gives credit. He's going. He's facing death. He's going to die, and so um, being the, the the writing of these epistles and some of these things take place in a period of time in which it's outside the record of the Book of Acts per se. After being released from his first Roman imprisonment, uh, which we get that in Acts 28 to 30, the very end of the book of Acts, we, we have convinced that Paul has revisited several cities uh, in which he ministered, Ephesus being one of those. And while he is in Ephesus with Timothy and probably Titus as well, uh, he ministers there, and then he leaves Ephesus to kind of go up to Macedonian area, and he leaves Timothy there as a kind of a, a pastor in that area, in that church in Ephesus. If you remember when we were reading First um, Timothy, Paul comments on that departure at the very beginning of First Timothy. He says, as I urged upon my departure from Macedonia, I want you to remain at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Paul, going up to Macedonia, leaves Timothy in Ephesus there. And uh, so Timothy is working there in Ephesus. But he does come down to the island of Crete. And uh, Crete, if you remember when Paul was going, and don't, don't confuse, I have a problem sometimes confusing Crete with Cyprus because they're two islands in the Mediterranean. But uh, when Paul was uh, going, being taken on his fourth journey to Rome, remember he suffered a shipwreck. Before he did, they landed and spent a very brief time in the island of Crete. Well, Paul comes back to that island now, and he comes back with Titus. And um, 
Um, he visits he visits the island. He ministers there a little bit, and uh, he leaves just like he did left Timothy in Ephesus when he leaves Crete. He leaves Titus there at the island after brief visit ministering there, and uh, he leaves Titus there to minister to continue the strength of the work. In the book of Titus, we read that Artemis, when Artemis and Tychicus arrive at the island of Crete, he wants Timothy, he wants Titus to join Paul, and he's asking uh, Titus to join Paul. You can read about this in chapter 3, verse 12, in the city of Nicopolis, so that they can winter there. And so uh, right now, uh, Titus is being left at Crete, and Paul is up in kind of going up in the Macedonian area again. And it's in that time, and it's not certain, but in that general time that he writes Titus and tells him what he's doing and gives that charge to him. And that's the letter that we have in our hand. And uh, it's, a, it's a challenging letter. It's a good letter. A, unlike Timothy, Paul does not um, jump on Titus too much about different kinds of doctrine as much as things that, are, that may be needed to be confronted in the church. In the letter here, Paul identifies himself um, not only as Paul, but as a bondservant of God. Some time ago, I remember John talking about that, and he made the statement, and I did some research and found out he's absolutely right. <laughs> and that is that every time in the New Testament, the, the Translation translators always translate bondservant or servant. It's actually the word doulos, which is the Greek word for slave. And so Paul here is actually referring to himself, Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I was doing a little research on that and read. Weist, who makes the comment that um, bondservant, which is the word doulos, is the most abject, servile term in use among the Greeks for the word for slave. This abject, servile attitude on the part of a pagan slave finds its expression in the true Christian humility on the part of the Christian who regards himself as a slave Jesus Christ. The word in its various meanings finds a doctrinal place in the Christian system in the providence of God who destined the Greek language as the vehicle by which to give the New Testament revelation to the human race. This revelation to the human race. That is, that we are called slaves of Jesus Christ. Servant is one who can be repaid, can be paid, can earn something Slave is one who is actually the property of the owner. That's a, it's a very servile and abject term. Doulos refers to one who is born into slavery. The Greeks had a word for a person in, taken in war and sold as a slave. Paul was born into slavery to sin at his first birth. He became a loving bond slave of the Lord Jesus through being born of the Holy Spirit at his second birth, if you will. The word refers to one, one whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. Before salvation, Paul's will was swallowed up in the will of Satan. After he was saved, his will was swallowed up in the sweet will 
of God. The word referred to one bound to another in bonds so strong that only death could break them. It is Paul's identification with Christ and his death, Romans 6, 3, which broke the bands that bound him to Satan. After salvation, Paul became bound to the Lord Jesus in bands so strong that only death could break them. And because the Lord Jesus became Paul's life, and he will never again die, Paul's union with the Lord is so strong that nothing can break it. Doulos refers to one who serves another to the disregard of his own interests. Paul, before Paul was saved, he served Satan to the disregard of his own interests. After salvation, Paul served Jesus Christ with an abandonment that caused him to live a life of self-sacrificial service, which culminated in martyr's death. Um, what he said there that, that um, the idea of being a slave means that you per Christ first disregarding your own personal wishes and wants is a very strong statement. And it's a statement that I struggle to even come close to applying to my life because there are lots of things that, that I find that I struggle with that, I, that just kind of creep in to my affection and to my desires and to my passions and to my emotions and that want to come between me and my Savior. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so to say that I'm a slave like this before the Lord Jesus Christ is to say something that I struggle to put into practice in my life. I just want you to know that. I have not arrived at the point that Paul has arrived at where he is now totally in submission and abject in surrender. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans 7, he's struggled with that too, that the things he wants to do, but he doesn't do. He struggles with that, just like I know you do and just like I do as well. So the word there is used, and, and let me just give you a couple of verses um, since we're studying God's word. Romans 1, 1, Paul is a bond slave or a slave of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Philippians 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ to all the saints. James chapter 1, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, remember, he's not an apostle. He was a a half-brother of the Lord, but he is, he is nonetheless a slave of God and of Jesus Christ. Peter, Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, again, the Lord's relative, half-brother Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called. Um, outside of those church leaders and authors, there are others who are called slaves in the church. Epaphras is one. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, he was one of your number, that is, he is telling the church at Colossians that this guy is one of their members. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Paul telling Timothy, we uh, read this verse when we were studying Second Timothy. Paul's, the Lord's slave, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, 
This is this is a, a description of those who are to be involved in ministry. This is what they're like. They are not to be quarrelsome. They're, the Lord's slave must not be this kind of person. In Revelation 1.1, 1, 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his slaves the things which must soon take place. And he sent and commun- communicated by his angel to his slave, John. Um, Philippians chapter 2. You remember these verses. Have this attitude in yourselves. This is spoken of a slave, Jesus' slave. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, that that, uh, idea of existing in the form of God means he was God from the inside out. It's his internal quality, is his person, his essence. He existed in the form of God, Yet he did not regard that equality with God as a thing to be grasped and held on to, um, ignoring everything else. But rather, it says he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. So he took on, and this this comes again, formed from the inside out. He, as a heart, wants to serve. Imagine that. The Lord wants to serve us. He wants to give to us. He wants to do good to us. Um, that's that's staggering. That is staggering. The form of a slave being made in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself in becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so this is this is the word slave. It's used and it's used of all those, those in the New Testament um, that are believers. Galatians 1.10, this so. Uh, says this, it says, well, now I am now seeking the favor of man. This is interesting. I thought this was very, there's a reason I included this, because I want to see how it works. Paul is saying, well, I, if, well, I am now seeking the favor of men or of God. Am I trying to please men or am I trying to please God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were trying, trying, striving to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. What is he saying? See, you can't do both. If you're going to please men, you can't be a slave of Christ. If you're a slave of Christ, you can't be pleasing men. That's an interesting thought. That being enslaved to Christ, that's why Jesus said in, in the John 17, he says, I have given them thy word. It's not just that he said, okay, here, God, there you are. Have fun. But he's saying, I have given it to them. They, it has permeated their hearts. It is working in their minds. I have given them that word. Therefore, because of that, they're no longer the world. The world hates them. Outside, you're talking about the world's one. The, receiving the word and having the word work in their hearts and lives sets them apart from the normal, what we call the world. And that's a good thing. That, that means that, that God's word makes a difference in our lives. It transforms us. It turns us around, makes us more what Christ wants us to be. It's renew, it's, as Sproul says, it renews the mind, renewing the mind. Paul says uh, in Romans 6.16, Talking about being slaves. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as, here's the word, slaves or obedience, um, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Two things there that stand out. First of all, this is one of the references in the scripture where the word doulos is translated slave and not just bond servant, 
as it is for the every time it's applied to the apostles or the people, it's called bond servant, or when it applies to something like this, translated slave. But it should be translated slave when it applies to us as well, because that's the word. It's the word of abject servitude. So Paul says here, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slave, when you when you commit yourself to do something, when you are uh, involved in giving yourselves to serve something, to obey them, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey. When you pursue something, when you're that's why the Bible says, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. Because when you love the world and pursuing that, you become a slave to that. You become a slave to that passion and that and it eats you alive. It'll, it'll destroy you. In Romans six, I mean Romans eight, this this is the verse that I've been going you, I've talked about this several times. You're probably getting tired of it. Romans eight. Um, when I'm down there at Lowe's, I sit down there like I did yesterday morning from 6 o'clock in the morning uh, for about an hour without anybody bothering me at all. I'm sitting there talking to the Lord and thinking about these things, maybe get my phone and look at some verses. These kind of verses come to mind, and the Lord speaks to my heart about these things. Here's Romans 8 says, but you, For those who are according to the flesh, that is, those who pursue or embrace the flesh, set their minds... On the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, that is those who are pursuing the things of the spirit, that is things that relate to the spirit of God and to our Christian spiritual disciplines, they set their minds on the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh, and this is, this is, uh, the, this is the problem. When you get people with problems, like we, we're talking about different families and struggle problems, it's the problem goes back what is it that J.L. used to say when talking about biblical counseling? He said, biblical counseling must always be perceived, uh, preceded by evangelism. Evangelism is pre-counsel. Until you evangelize people, you can't really counsel. So you can't change a person's heart until Christ is Lord in that heart. And that's true. And here is this picture here. He says, those that are according to the, the uh, flesh... Set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, the mind that is set on the flesh is death. And you'll see that. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, or it is not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 5 through 8. So we become slaves to what we pursue. If we pursue the things of the world and the flesh, we are enslaved to that. If we pursue the things of the Spirit, the things of God, we become slaves of righteousness. And we are enslaved to that. And that's so much better. That's so much better. Um, finally, one more verse, and now we'll move on. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Paul is talking about, um, he says this, he says, we do not preach ourselves, but rather we preach Jesus as Lord and ourselves as slaves for his sake. So here's the picture. He is the master. He is the Lord. We are the slaves. We are slaves. That's a good thing. Now in our day, talking about being slaves, there are people that uh, would strongly oppose that because we have 
this idea that slavery is the evil of all evils that existed in our society, and it is bad. I agree with you. And people that have been, many people that have been abused by that. But the fact of the matter is that if we are, we're, the Bible talks about us being slaves of Christ, and it is a privilege for us to be in submission to him and surrender to him. It's also a responsibility for us. And it's, a, it's really the life of peace because if we're slaves to him, he is a good master. And he uses us for his glory. And we want, don't, we don't want to exalt ourselves as the Clint Eastwood of church. We want rather to submit to him and exalt him because he is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is, so we want to do that. So slave, Paul says, I am a doulos and he uses the word apostle. Many references by Paul uh, to the word apostle. Romans 1, 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle. 1 Corinthians 1, 1, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle basically means messenger or Sent one. We can we can have messengers. I can when I was when son was younger, and sometimes we could we could go up and visit uh, something, and maybe I think we put him on a train one time and send him all the way to Adirondacks to spend time with his grandmother Siggy, and we gave him instructions and something to tell Siggy. So in one sense, he would be a messenger on our behalf to her to give her things that we wanted to say or whatever. Same thing when you came back to. Western Carolina, and the mom would meet you there at the airport, or whatever. We'd give you instructions. Like that's an apostle, that's a messenger in a sense. But aside from that, there is not just regular messengers, but there are the the official apostles or official messengers that the Lord instituted that He chose. We prayed all night before He chose the twelve apostles, if I remember correctly, because it was such an important choice. So the word choice of apostle means messenger or sent one. And in the culture, it was used of royal emissaries who ministered with an exceeding, extending authority of their sovereign. The Paul's exalted position as an apostle also was an extension of, of his service to God, his, his authority and his bond service to God. And that's what he calls himself here, uh, an apostle of God, which, which I'm sorry. Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. He calls himself an apostle, a messenger of Jesus Christ. And uh, he has authority. It comes with great authority. It comes with great responsibility. And it comes with great sacrifice, which Paul did. He sacrificed himself and he gave himself. That was a very important responsibility he had. Um, He says... When he talks to the Ephesian elders there in Miletus, uh, and he, he's making his trip back to Jerusalem, and he doesn't think he's going to see them anymore. And he says he was being warned by different uh, people not to go to Jerusalem because they're going to tie him up and they're going to mistreat him and stuff. And he says something very interesting. He says, uh, I do not consider my life of any account as precious or dear to myself. And that's so that I can finish my course, my mission, my calling. Finish the course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus 
To do what? To testify solemnly. So this is a serious thing. To testify solemnly of the good news or the gospel of the grace of God. Remember, he talked about the mystery. The mystery that God is working among the Gentiles. And it is an outpouring of the mercy and the grace of God on the world of sinners. And how God's grace is being manifested. And Paul saw himself as a steward of that. And a calling to minister that and to give that message to others. Um, that word, that idea... Uh, in Luke chapter 11, <laughs> um, I know I'm going to wear you out with this, but this is important. Uh, Luke chapter 11, Paul says, uh, Jesus talks, says, Woe to you lawyers as well, for you, may, you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you... Blind, for you build tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. You are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers because it was they who killed them, and you honor them by building their tombs. For this reason also, what's this? For this reason also, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles. And some of them, they were killed, and some, they were persecuted. Notice that both the apostles and the prophets are sent by God. They're on a mission from God. He says, I will send them. That's important to see that. They are, they are their emissaries, and they come on a mission from the Lord. They are continually, the, uh, the idea is, that the church has these apostles that were part of the foundation of the church, and they helped build the church. And uh, if you remember um, in the book of Ephesians, where Ephesians 4.11, Paul talks about he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers as leaders given to the church from God to create unity in the church. The church is important. I was, I was thinking about this uh, in Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church, it said that they were, listen to this, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Um, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place uh, through the apostles. I was thinking about this because, see, I'm a pastor of church, okay, and there's a sense in which my ego is built upon the church being big and uh, successful. And if its church is small, then you can say, well, it's not doing too well. You, you maybe you did the wrong thing or whatever. And we're in a day in which um, there's a lot of publicity that comes out, a lot of examples of churches being like a dynamic church, a dynamic ministry, a church that's involved in uh, effective uh, evangelism or discipling or multiplying or setting up new churches, uh, maybe the dynamic music ministry, potential uh, church for impacting the, the political scene, um, maybe churches that have some pretty impressive theatrical 
things on the stage or whatever, missions. Um, there are lots of things that we can talk about that are mentioned as different churches seem to specialize in certain areas. And I don't know, um, kind of a standard that, that, that there's trying to make a mold to set, to really reach out and to explode in these areas and really establish a real strong, uh, effective ministry. But there's not much talk about ordinary churches, just a church that is doing what God wanted it to do. And here are several things that are laid out here at the beginning that I think are really important. And that we don't, we don't want to lay these aside because they are, they are foundational. It's like, it's like you're talking about basketball. You get back and you say, now this is the, who was the coach that said, man, this is a football. This is basic to the instruction, basic things. Continually devoting themselves to the apostle doctrine. That is the doctrine of the apostles, which would be the teachings of scripture. And through fellowship, Christian fellowship, sharing with one another, helping one another, doing those things that you need to do. The breaking of bread, which is not just eating, but communion, which is important. Uh, and to prayer. Those are four basic things that a lot of times we sort of forget about those things and we move on to some bigger things, but you really can't, you really can't, you really can't do the work that the church intended to do effectively and see the people discipled and the people grow in their love for the Lord and the word and ignore these things. It's a basic, it's, it's, it's doesn't, it doesn't necessarily hit the headlines, but it does help to build the saints. And that's, that's where, that's where it's at. And so it's easy to kind of lay these things aside. Um, and, that was what the, the early church, they practiced that. What got me into that was that they, they uh, pursued the apostles teaching the apostles doctrine. And uh, they had that doctrine that they were, they were serious about. The early church also had miracles and the power of the apostles. They had, you had the signs of the apostles. The Acts 4.33 says, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace upon them all. But you not only have the positive power, you have also the negative power. If you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira, when they came and laid their money down at the apostles' feet or, or pretended to be doing some things and they were lying to the Holy Spirit and Peter spoke to them and they fell over dead. That's, that's power too. Uh, it's not... This gives us a picture, by the way, I think a good picture of the fact that all of the miracles and the signs that we see in the very early church don't just continue on, but they were given for a purpose at the beginning of the ministry until the ministry was established, until the leadership was established, until the scripture began to be taken seriously. Um, the apostles... Um, Many places in the early church exercised leadership, which is what they are to do. I think of Acts 8. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word, they sent them, Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, but it had not yet fallen upon them as they simply had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they began to lay their hands on them as they, and as they were receiving the Holy Spirit. It was at that point that Simon Magus wanted that gift to be able to hand the, the spirit over so to speak he wanted to do it for the 
self-centered reasons. But the, the picture there is Simon saw that, that these men were crucial to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on these people there. Sure. Anyway, let me read one more, and I'll, I'll, I'll come to a conclusion here because we need to stop. And that is the Jerusalem Council. Book of Acts is so valuable, and it helps us to see the valuable ministry of the apostles in the early church. <coughs> Take your Bibles, turn to Acts 15, and let's just read through this chapter. It says in Acts 15 that there were some men that came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas, now who's Paul and Barnabas? Paul is an apostle. Barnabas is not an apostle, but he is a leader. He is, he is a spiritual leader. They have an apostle and a leader. Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem, where? To the apostles and elders. Now, here's the apostles. These official representatives, they are there with, with responsibility and authority. But notice that they are placed on a level now, beside the elders, you have the elders in that church and you have the apostles. So both of them are there. They're both leaders in positions of leadership in the church. And they go up to the elders and to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, notice that. The church is behind this. It's part of the ministry. It's for the, the, the welfare and the determination and the directions and the, the decisions that need to be made. But it's done by the church. They were sent on their way by the church. They were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. So here is this, here is this controversy here that the Gentiles, according to these spiritual leaders from Jerusalem, are coming down to Judea. They need to be circumcised and they keep, need to keep some of these aspects of the law before they can be saved. This is the issue that's at hand. They were being, they were bringing. Um, they were bringing much joy to all the brethren. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. Again, here is the church and the leaders, both the elders and the apostles. And they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Well, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after that had been much debate, Peter stood up. Peter is one of the apostles. He stood up and said, to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice between you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. So Peter was the apostle. He went to the house of Cornelius. He preached to them. The Gentiles heard, and they, were, they saw the, the power of the Holy Spirit come down. They believed, and they were baptized. Okay? Peter said it was by my mouth that they heard that by my mouth that they believe and God who knows the heart heart testified to them giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did also to us and he made no distinction between us that is Jews and them that is Gentiles cleansing their hearts by faith now therefore why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear but we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the same way as they are. All the people kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas 
and Paul. Barnabas not being a leader, Paul being an apostle, as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had stopped speaking, James, James is not an apostle. He is a half-brother of the Lord. He is a writer of one of the epistles, but he is a leader in the church in Jerusalem. In spite of the fact he's not an apostle. After they had stopped, James answered and said, Brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking among the Gentiles a people for his name. And with this, words of the, the prophets agree, just as it is written after these things, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild the ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. All the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment, here's James, not an apostle, it is my judgment, that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we, that is, us leaders, write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and what is strangled and from blood. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul, who was an apostle, and Barnabas, who was not an apostle, Judas called Barsabas, Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter by them, quote, the apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, who from the Gentiles, who are from the Gentiles, greetings, since we have heard that this that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have, di have disturbed you with their words, upsetting your souls. It seemed good to us, having become one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas, who is not an apostle, and Paul, who is an apostle, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves also report the same words, same, same things by word of mouth. Where it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, by the way, that statement that tells us that there was a, a way in which the Holy Spirit was communicating directly at that time. Um, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled for fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. We'll stop there. All right, the decision was made. It was made, the apostles were there, the elders were there, the leader of the church, James, stood up, and he spoke, and he said, it was my judgment. They were all coming together. It was not only the leadership of the apostles, it was also the leadership of the elders and the leadership of James, the church leadership. And over and over and over again, it's the whole ministry together. Now, why am I doing that? Why am I going through this? Because we know that apostles are those that are sent from God with, with authority. They are emissaries. And we know we have the 12, 12 apostles. We know that we don't have a continuum ministry of the apostles today like we did then. They, they're gone. They're dead. They're with the Lord. But we still have church leadership. In this passage, if, if everything was done, I was thinking about that. If all these decisions that were made were strictly by the apostles and there was nobody else involved, how would we do that today? How would we 
transfer that authority and have our councils and decisions today because we don't have apostles running around today. But we do have elders and we do have church leaders like that. And so I think it's interesting to me how the Lord is, is taking the apostles and slowly pulling them out and raising up elders and leaders in the church to function, to make decisions for the church without the apostles having to be there because they, they weren't given that responsibility. The apostles' doctrine is that they were given that responsibility. But the Lord, you know what I'm saying? The Lord is pulling them out and using elders and using leaders in the church to make decisions. Those decisions being made. And it's, it's been carried on now down throughout history. There have been many church councils that have been very important councils. The apostles are gone, but we have the word of the apostles, the teaching of the apostles, the New Testament doctrine, which is very important. So here's, here I'm done. Here is Paul, uh, and he's writing to Titus. He calls himself a slave of God and an apostle of authority. Uh, a, a messenger, one who was sent from Jesus Christ, and he's writing to Timothy. I know I'm moving slowly, but that's really important. I think it's important. So, uh, I'm teaching the girls, and we're going over the oil disciples. But this morning, I wanted them to understand that there are some things that they were, he chose to call them apostles. And I, I, this one perfect life by John MacArthur uh, really says it all. It says, Excuse me a second. Yes, he said, and from them he chose the twelve, and we also named apostles. So I got to digging in right here, and it says, disciples are, are which means student, ones who are being taught by one another. Okay, these men also are being taught by Jesus. But the apostle refers to qualified representatives who were sent out on a mission. The two terms uh, are, are different aspects, but they're calling. And I was trying to explain to them because they kind of looked at me funny. And I said, from now on, throughout the rest of this whole thing, I'm teaching them we're going to be called apostles because they were actually, they had a mission that was sent out. And they were his chosen 12. Now, he had, at one time, it said he had, you know, many disciples that he sent out two by two. And one account John was talking in, in this book was that he had over 70. So that's 140 men. They were, that was what was account. There was a lot more disciples. Yeah. But he sent them out. But he chose these twelve to be apostles, so they had a special mission. That's right. So I was trying to explain to them the difference. And then you're speaking on that. They were his authority. Yes. What's your closing prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, it's, it's wonderful when we have walked with you for years, and then all of a sudden you. Show something new. It's exciting. I thank you, Lord, for uh, getting into the book of Titus this morning. Thank you for uh, your love for, for these men that, that wrote uh, books, these men that you chose for your 12. And even as our little church here, Lord, you love us. I thank you for that. I thank you again for being the God of mercy, the God of control. Uh, while we see chaos, you see perfection. We love you so much for that. Help us, Lord, as we go through this week, Lord, to, to know that we serve a God of perfection. We serve a God of mercy and a God of love. We love you so much. Pray for the remainder of this day, Lord. Bring us back this evening where we can hear Bruce speak. It'd be good to see our brother yes. Bruce. And again, we thank you for just being our, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.